As Vera was, was speaking, I was thinking of all the realms of Christmas traditions that are probably represented in this room that you and your families have practiced over the years or you grew up practicing in some way. And there are many, some going back for a long ways. Let, let, me, let me mention some of the origins and brief histories of some of the most popular Christmas traditions as practiced in the U.S., Christmas trees started in Germany sometime in the Middle Ages. They became popular in the U.S. in the early 1800s, and the very first Christmas tree lot was 1851, well over 100 years ago. Today, about three out of every four households have a Christmas tree in their home. How about this sacred Christmas tradition? Charlie Brown's Christmas special. December 9, 1965. That was negative 10. It was literally rejected by CBS executives twice before finally it was approved and became a huge hit. Ugly Christmas sweaters. Wouldn't mind getting rid of this one. Became popular in the 1980s. Now it is a multi-million dollar business. One of my own children has one of those, unfortunately. Candy canes started in Germany in 1670 and came to the U.S. in 1847. Christmas cards. England, first Christmas card, England, 1843. A company was started by the Hall Brothers. You can imagine what their company is now called. Hallmark. The first folded cards were in 1915. And annually, 1.6 billion holiday cards are mailed every year. How about Christmas movies? Do you watch every year? It's a Wonderful Life. 1946, the copyright lapsed in the 70s and it became free-for-all for all TV channels to play regularly. Christmas tree lights, when did those start? The first recorded is a Christmas tree in New York City in 1882. In 1914, it was mass-produced. And do you know how many sets of Christmas lights are sold every year? 150 million. How about uh, Salvation Army bell ringers? Since 1891, it actually started in San Francisco where a man was trying to raise money for a Christmas dinner for 1,000 people at a homeless shelter. So he would stand there, with his, bring his bell so people walking across on a busy San Francisco street would recognize him and read his sign, and he was yelling out. And he was successful and raised enough money to feed a thousand people on Christmas Day, and ever since then the tradition has continued. Some of those go way back. I mean, we're talking something like Christmas trees somewhere in the Middle Ages. That's a long time. And Christians all over the world, and certainly in our country, will celebrate some or, or many of those things. But what about Advent? 
How far back does that go? The first written record, recording message regarding Advent was in the year 380. That beats Hallmark, the Hall brothers, Christmas trees. It certainly beats ugly sweaters from the 1980s. At the Council of Sargossa in 380, held in modern Europe, Spain, they were worried about Christians who were minimizing the physical coming of Jesus. Certain doctrinal confusion or denials was happening in churches around Europe. And at this council gathering, they wanted to establish a regular practice in churches that would help direct people and use Christmas as a time to remind that Jesus' coming wasn't some mere spiritual truth, some kind of, call it an ancient New Age reality, but it was a physical incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ, that that should be proclaimed and taught, proper doctrine, centered on the birth of Christ. And of course, Advent, even back then, had a two-part focus. The, the first was the initial coming of Christ, the incarnation. As our Advent reading this morning recorded for us. But it was always the second future coming. The physical return of Jesus Christ. Come, Lord Jesus. Come again. Save us. We long for you. Christians have always held the already but the not yet. Like Christ has already come and, and, and we've got this life in us through the Spirit and we've got this truth and this hope that is anchored on Christ and this life in the gospel. But it's, even though it's already, it's not yet. As Greg mentioned, even Christmas time can be a time where we not only celebrate and re enjoy our young children and the opening of gifts and presents and their excitement of Christmas, but we even have times of missing those who have gone before us because it's not yet. It's not yet, even though it's already. The word Advent is from the Latin word arrival. It's a long-standing Christian tradition of seasonal preparation that helps Christians receive afresh. Every year, the message and meaning of Christmas. Four Sundays before Christmas, And of course, Christmas Eve, the lighting of the five candles. It is clearly not mandated in Scripture. Neither are microphones or a pulpit or several other things that we may use. But it is the outworking of Christian wisdom, Christian tradition, ministerial practice, and even habit formation to serve as a ministerial aid, to remind people, maybe going back to the year 380, that Jesus physically came and he will physically come again. But even more to guide our hearts to rightly understand and to long for what is most true and most good. And in a season where there are so many other lesser goods presented to us, other traditions that are happy and jolly and fine, but don't fully get to the reason for the season. I think it's wise and helpful to say that maybe Advent is the best Christmas tradition. Let me pray. We'll look at our text this morning and hear from the Word of the Lord. Father, help us this morning 
as we here near the end, the last week of Advent, try to focus our hearts and our minds on Christ. Father, we need your help. We are so distracted. We so easily love ourselves and the things of this world. As we sang, that we, we need to focus in on Jesus, turn our eyes on Jesus. We need help by your Spirit and the ministerial aids of the church, like Advent, to turn our eyes to Jesus, to really sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and not just Santa. Help us with that, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give you three ways that Advent is a ministerial aid and is helpful for Christians. Three ways this morning. The first is this. Advent helps Christians separate the biblical Christmas from the secular Christmas. And I think we almost need to posit them in that way. There really is a biblical Christmas and there's a secular Christmas. And again, there's nothing wrong with a secular Christmas in and of itself. The mistake would be that that becomes the Christmas for which we long and that we ultimately ground our identity. There is a battle to keep Christ in Christmas. And I, I'm not speaking about the cultural battle. I'm speaking about the church. I worry that most Christians want to fight for words like Christmas instead of holiday with their tongues, but their hearts have already given it up. In the same way that we can be more intentional and focused for Black Friday than we can Good Friday. Without even realizing, it feels neutral to us. It feels totally neutral. We won't even think about the long-range intentionality and strategy for Black Friday and not for Good Friday. So too, Christmas can overwhelm us and inundate us with common grace, creative and good things that actually dilute and distract from the biblical Christmas. In fact, we, we might even fight politically for a nativity scene on a city property and yet have already misplaced Christ in our hearts. What a loss would that be? Think of the battle for the hearts this Christmas season. Think of the synthetic reality that only exists on television. Imagine if you have the channel, Hallmark Channel, talking about the Hall brothers. Every Christmas show Think of all the cartoons, all the Christmas things. All are good and fine in our pop culture, social media, even our Christmas cards. How about an American consumeristic Christmas? The average U.S. family spends just shy of $1,000 on Christmas every year. And it takes them statistically four years to pay that off. So the average family in the United States, is still paying off from Christmases three years ago and only accumulating debt further. And none of that is to point a finger at Christmas gifts or Christmas spending necessarily. It's simply to say we put a lot of emphasis in things that might have nothing to do with the biblical Christmas. Advent, therefore, is one way the church helps God's people keep Christ in Christmas. Here, here's a second 
way that Advent is a ministerial aid and helpful for Christians. Advent helps Christians conform to the Christmas message and not to the Christmas season. It it, it intends to minister to your wills and to your hearts. It's a tool designed by the church, our historic Christian family, literally going back over a millennium and a half ago, to form us during the holidays, to remind us, to help us remember what is good and true, what we need the most. Think about that as you're writing every year your Christmas list. What would be most on your list? Would it be Christ and his second return? The redemption of our bodies? The renewal of all creation? Those things just feel so big and comprehensive, they just kind of scoot on by what our hearts long for. For the church, Advent begins the Christian calendar year. And we've been so catechized by our secular calendar. That's, that's, neither, that's not negative. It just means that's what we attune our lives to. That's what we think missionally. And our identity is grounded in a national or secular calendar. For, for centuries, the church has offered a different calendar. And Advent is the beginning of the Christian year that works through the life and ministry of Christ all the way up through the ascension, reminding us of our life in Christ and our mission to the world as Christ sends us. That we are an embassy of the kingdom no matter what nation we live in. Advent directs our minds to remember the absence of Christ and the longing for Christ. It wants us to remember that. It helps us conform this message of Christmas in two ways. One is this. Advent helps us remember our need of Christ. It focuses on the gift of the incarnation. We can never hear that story enough. Not because we need more details. Not because it's information. Because it's transformation. We needed Jesus. Advent wants us to reflect upon our life without Christ. It wants us to remember it was like without Him. In the car a couple days ago, all three of my kids, which feels more infrequent than ever, and even just realizing with a son moving toward graduating from high school that how shrinking that time is. Even yesterday, all three of them were causing Havoc in a basement making homemade gifts with, with their father's mechanical ability. I have very low hopes for whatever is going to turn up. I, at one point, I heard one of my sons go, oh, that didn't work out right. And I looked at my wife, and we just kind of smiled. This is going to be ugly. But they're laughing, the, the two boys and their sister. And they're, and they're singing at times and playing. And I just thought back to several years ago when they were super little and two little boys wrestling on the carpet and a little 18-month-old sister would crawl in between and they'd stop wrestling and go, Dad, can you get Ruthie? She's going to get crushed. Or one of them would feed her when even she was younger or want to hold her. Just those memories or even going back to literally meeting with a doctor years before that when they told us they weren't even sure we were going to have kids. 
And that bus ride home from Dundee, Scotland, back to St. Andrews, where I held my wife's hand, and we said, Lord, we have to give you our lives. Because we long for what is good. We crave that. We are not wanting to submit to what we're seeing, sensing now is your will. Help us. See, all of that was part of the story that I was remembering as I heard those three kids in the basement this weekend. Or that ride home arguing over what's for dinner and who sits where. I remembered that early conversation with the doctor in Dundee, Scotland, and that bus ride home to St. Andrews. I remembered the announcement of when we, when we realized we were pregnant with our oldest, and we literally sank on the floor and sang for about 45 minutes praise songs because we were so overjoyed. See, that's what Advent wants you to do with Christ. It doesn't want to just give you, oh, I didn't know that detail. Well, how big was the manger? What kind of wood did they use? He wants you to remember what it was like when you did not know Christ. He wants you to feel afresh that need for Him. Which, to be honest with you, because it's the already but not yet, you still need Him. Lord, I need you every hour. Every hour I need you, we sing. I need you, Christ. And in the midst of busyness and Christmas cards and Christmas cookies and Christmas shows, I gather in the silence of the church and I remember what I need. I need Jesus. And Advent wants you to remember that. It blocks out the Hallmark Channel, mutes it, puts your cards at bay, it dims the Christmas lights, it lets you sit for a moment in darkness and say, do you remember when you didn't have Christ? Now remember a whole world that did not have Christ. And then remember, in the darkness, the angels came and declared that the glory of God, that light was coming into the world. Or that first cry from baby Jesus, who literally is the Word of God. What was his first word? And how many more words of life would he speak? I want you to remember that. That's why for, for centuries, the Christmas carols of the joy and the celebration that Jesus is here have been delayed during these months, which is more than frustrating for our, I thought the rule was after Thanksgiving, and even some of you break that. Can you imagine waiting till Christmas Eve or Christmas Day? as the saints of old would do. Why? Because they wanted to delay, to feel the longing so that they could celebrate afresh. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming. And thank you that you promised you would come again. Lord, help me to long for that above all else. A second way that Advent helps us conform to the Christmas message is that Advent helps us refresh our life in Christ. Advent wants us to dive deep into the majesty of Christmas, and more than that, the beauty of the gospel. He wants you to ask questions like this, do I believe in the gospel? Is it, is, is it, is it the core truth of my life? Do I love Christ above all else? 
Is there a longing in me that Christ alone must satisfy? Last thing, third. Advent helps Christians aim their desires toward the greatest Christmas gift and the final gift that is still to come. It helps us realign our desires toward Christ. Advent is about helping us long for what is most true, what is most needed, and most majestic every Christmas season. It wants to direct that longing toward the second coming. It wants us to remember the first, but it wants us to remember it's not yet. And to feel the not yet, that one day Christ will come and redeem all things. So I would ask these questions to you and have you respond to them every year. Have I put my hope and trust in Christ? Have I? Am I really trusting in Christ? Is that what I'm longing for the most? Do I see the future through the spectacles of Christ? Advent ministers to us by helping us see past the mirage of most Christmases that Americans around us will celebrate to the true meaning of Christmas. See right through the mirage. Just put those sweaters, trees, little things. They're all good and fine and kind of work all through them and grab onto hope. Advent helps us look past the brokenness in our world and lives to the world that is to come. That's why Romans 8, 18 to 25 is a, is a glorious Advent passage. L- listen as I look at the verses with you, how many times it's longing, waiting, Paul says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing. Not even, not even close. Not even worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Again, that word glory just means the weightiness, the magnitude, the awesomeness of God. Like, and we, we haven't even tasted that yet. And when we do, we will look back and just be blown away how incomparable these things are. Yet now, what we're facing in our lives is like the, 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 the scariest and most striking of sufferings. It is nothing compared to God in eternity. But notice how Paul talks about the whole creation, right? Like the physical earth that one day will be the new creation. For the creation waits, verse 19, with eager longing. That's Advent language. The creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, the full redemption that we as humans are at the center of the story of God's creation project from creation to new creation. Because look at verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility. It was burdened with the fall, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Just imagine a world, not just some individuals that gather in an embassy of the kingdom, but when God's kingdom overtakes all of creation and the whole world is freed from the bondage of sin. We haven't even tasted that kind of a world yet. 
But look at verses 22 and following. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Every, every man, don't nod your head and act like you know exactly what that means. Just, just be quiet and listen. Only our wives fully understand that groaning of pain. That, that, that severe suffering that yields such a gift. And not only the creation, verse 23, but we ourselves... We who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly. That's Advent language. Come, Lord Jesus, please. Like when I really see what is true and most important and most sacred, all of the trees and the sweaters and the cards don't get to what I need. I need Jesus. And I need his second coming. And I praise God for the first. And as I'm already but not yet, even with the Spirit, I'm longing for the full redemption for the renewal of all creation. We ourselves, verse 23, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption, the sons and daughters, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Like that's what we first trusted in. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Come, Lord Jesus. Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. That's what the church still sings. He has come and he will come again. Some of you may have heard that my mom has been in the hospital since uh, a week ago Thursday. She had, she had a surgery to remove some cancer. Her body did not respond well to it, and she was immediately put in the ICU. She was in there until really um, Monday, I think, until she was downgraded. And she's currently still up in Madison, but in a, in a regular hospital room, and thankful to see her strength increasing hopefully see her moving to Rockford for rehab as early as tomorrow, Lord willing. But the doctors called us on Thursday night. I actually had to go into Trinity to teach one of my last classes of the semester, and the doctors called, and they were very concerned about her body. In fact, I hung up the phone with the doctors. It was on speaker. My wife was listening, too, and I, and, and I literally had the impression that they were just concerned for health overall, the impact of her body. So I went in first thing Friday morning and saw her there, and that was rough. No way around it. Big time. This big guy standing there crying like a baby with all these doctors and nurses. Because she couldn't even respond. She had the tubes down, and she was so frail. And she could open her eyes, but she was, you know, she was sedated in part because of the, because of the tubes. And, and they were concerned. They were very concerned. Again, by God's grace, she's had a bit of a recovery, but I didn't know that Friday morning. So I sat with her for several hours with her awake and asleep and awake, and then as I was leaving, still unsure how she would respond overall, I spoke to her. 
I put my hand on her shoulder, I rubbed her head, and I spoke to her. And I spoke to her. I just, I just shared what a son would share with his mom. Because I didn't know would I see her on Saturday morning or not. I didn't know. And then I shared with her what is most true. Not just about my love for her and my thankfulness. Not just about what her grandkids would want her to say. I mean, all that is good and true. I told her what is most true. You know, it's the same thing I said to Bernie Reese about five days before he passed away. And the same thing I've shared with several other saints laying on their beds. As I, as a pastor, visit with them, I shared about Christ. And I reminded her about the resurrection. And I told her about our true hope and her belief in Christ. And at one point she looks at me and she nods acknowledging this hope. And it was this weird moment where I was both a pastor and a son. I was doubly involved. But I didn't just end with just the, my own affections and gratitudes for a single mom who raised a son. I told her about Christ. The most important thing. The truth of the resurrection of her physical body that she will one day run with the fullness of a renewed body because Christ has promised it. And I believe it. And I said, Mom, do you believe this truth? And she nodded yes with all these tubes moving in her, in her head. That's how I ended that conversation Friday a week ago afternoon. With what is most true. Even though at an emotional level I was still a little boy talking to my mom. But I didn't end with that. I ended with Christ. See, Advent wants not just the little boy and the Santa and the tree and the candy cane and the jolly songs. It it wants you to enjoy that good and true, but kind of move that a little bit to the side so that As Christmas approaches, you look at Christ and you feel the brokenness of a fallen world and you taste again not only the longing you had before Christ came that the world had, but you remember that it's not yet. It's not yet. And you say, come Lord Jesus. And you rejoice in His future coming and you lock in your hope like a target. You lock into that hope and you plant that in your heart and you make that part of your church tradition so that every year, no matter what you've tasted or what mirage is in front of you, the good and the bad, you can slide some of that through and see Christ. Advent reminds us that Jesus is the greatest gift. And it is good and proper for us to long for the fullness we will one day receive from Jesus. That's why, at least for me, and certainly the argument would be in favor of this truth, that Advent is the best Christmas tradition. So keep your sweaters. Well, don't wear them around too many people. But keep your sweaters. Enjoy your trees. Make your cookies. Celebrate with your children and your grandchildren, some of your great-grandchildren, by God's grace. Enjoy all your sacred and fun family meals 
and celebrations. But then as Christmas comes, look right through all of those beautiful common grace gifts and see what is most special, what is most needed. Your neighbors don't need just another Christmas tree or another Christmas gift. They need Jesus. Your world doesn't just need another Christmas celebration or TV movie. It needs Jesus. And deep down, even we don't just need another Christmas celebration without Jesus. Because at Advent we sing both, O come, O come, Emmanuel. And then we remember that He is coming again and we sing, Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to Thee, O Israel. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word which ministers to Your children. Thank You for Advent, this holiday that even today with sweet young ones reading part of Your Word to us as we light our fourth candle, yet beyond that, seeing that these are the slow promises that explain the longing we have in our hearts that direct us to see Christ. Father, be with us in this. Help us to see Christ at Christmas. Jesus, not just, as, not just a name in a greeting, but the person and work of Jesus and His centrality in our lives. May we fight for Christmas in our hearts. And Father, I pray that all of us would realize our need of Christ, whether those who have long been believers may be drawn more intimately to Christ and the truth of the gospel this Christmas season, or even others who doubt in ways or don't fully believe, that they would realize that that longing, that, that emptiness, that aching in their lives is because they need Christ. Thank you for guiding your church to minister with Advent over all these centuries. And help us now as we close to direct our hearts to Christ as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.